get through it. Um, you know, I, I, I listened to Pastor Greg last week, and that was very encouraging for me because that was something I needed to hear um, because, you know, you look at the world around you and you start to like, what's going on? Why? Why is this happening? Um, because I think as Christians, we kind of have this idea that everything's supposed to go great, right? Um, and so I, I was kind of preparing this, and, and I remember this, and you guys, you might recognize it, um, and it's one of the longest sentences that I've read, and it says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was an epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven, we were all going direct the other way. And if, and if you know, that's the opening of Tale of Two Cities by Dickens. Um, and it's such a, that sentence is such a dichotomy, right? It's just like, it's this and this. Well, which is it? Because sometimes I think as believers, we find ourselves in that place where, you know, we know this, but everything around us is saying this, and you're kind of like, well, which is it? And, and where do I land? What do I grasp onto? Because they're both so real to me, you know, right? And, 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 and I think that that may be part of the reason why, as a church, we struggle because we have that dichotomy going on in our life, right, before us every single day of our life. It's just there's this two worlds kind of that we're, um, that we're facing with. Um, and I, I always risk being critical um, because I know it's bad. I'm bad at that because I, I kind of can be very critical sometimes. But I, I, I look at, yeah, I know, not you, huh? Um, I think I look at the church, and, and I was, so I was reading this, kind of looking for this, and, and, and I found in Mark 9, um, there is uh, something that I want to kind of start off with, and I think I gave you backwards, Jackie. I gave you the list backwards, so it starts Mark 9, by the way. Um, um, Mark 9, uh, verse 2, it says, um, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up high on a mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, only, but only Jesus with them. And so they're on this mount. This is an amazing story, right? Because I would have loved to have been there. That is like, like this is what we live for, right? I would, that, that would have been like the best thing ever to sit here and to watch this happen before me. Like, who would want to leave that, right? Because this is what, what they're saying. You know, Jesus... Let's just build something here and let's all stay here because this is cool. This is great. This is amazing. And like, and then everything like shuts off and they're kind of like, wait, I thought this was what happened. Because if you read further in that chapter, you go down to chapter 14, they come down off the mountain and immediately they run into an issue, 
right? And, and so in, in verse 14, it says that when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered to them, teacher, I brought my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered them, and he said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him, and when he saw him, immediately a spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. So it goes on that Jesus heals this or, or, or delivers this young man. Because, you know, I've heard people say, well, he was maybe, you know, he was epileptic or something. Maybe that's what was going on. This is a spirit because if you read it, it says he throws him into the fire. He throws him into the water. This didn't just happen just because. It was intentional. Right? The word tells us that the... The, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. This is what he does. And so here the disciples are up on the mountain with Jesus. All this great stuff's happened. And then they come down and they run into this, right? Different places to be at. And I think that we can, when things go great for us, we want to stay there. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't like good stuff and we shouldn't like greatness and all that wonderful stuff. But that's not where God necessarily called us to be. Because if God saved us just to have everything great, he would like pick us up and take us the moment that we accept him and we're done, right? And yet, we are called to be salt and light. Well, light really is only useful in the darkness. Light only really matters when it's dark. Because if I'm out in Yuma, the sunniest place on earth, and I turn on my flashlight, does anybody really notice it, right? I don't need it then. But when it's dark, that light becomes very useful. And, and I think this is the purpose of this, these two things in the same chapter there, going from this amazing place to this is what really goes on. Because in that amazing place where we find ourselves, where we all long to be, guess what? There's not too many people there that need Jesus, up on that mountain where all this wonderful stuff was going on, no one really needed Jesus. But when he came down, he found this young man who needed him, who needed deliverance. We have a world out there that needs to be delivered. We have a world that the enemy has possessed and is trying to kill and destroy them. And that's what we are called to go to. And I think that we're fighting to like, but I want to be up on the mount over here where it was really nice and amazing. And that's great, except for the fact that that's not where the people are that need Jesus. In, in Isaiah 42, in a verse 6 through 9, he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will give to, I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare, 
before they spring forth, I tell you them. We have to be prepared for this calling that he has put on. This is what he calls us to. There is a world out there that is locked up, that is kept prisoner. And unless we come and we bring what we have, right? So when you look at this young boy earlier, he was possessed by demons. And every time that we see a demon possession, what was the purpose of that? Why do demons long to possess a person? Well, because that's how they can manifest their destruction, right? They possess him, and now I can go and control him and cast him into the fire, into the water, and kind of manifest that destruction. The Holy Spirit works in the same way. The only way the Holy Spirit works is that it has to be in us to be able to carry out that that God intends to carry out. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He comes in us, and then he manifests all of that stuff, right? That's how it works. You know, when, when Jesus called them, you faithless generation, people are like, oh, that was kind of mean. Um, although sometimes I kind of like hear that from him too, like, really? I, I, I kind of picture Jesus like rolling his eyes and shaking his head like, really? Because, you know, when the disciples were, were when they were sitting there with this young man and they said, You're, we brought him to them, they couldn't do it. They couldn't, you know, cast this demon out. And Jesus tells them, well, this was, you know, through prayer and fasting. But he tells me, you faithless generation, because I think that for the most part, the disciples thought, well, we're hanging out with Jesus. That should be enough. Right? And even the three that got up on the mountain with him and watched all this stuff thought, hey, that is enough, right? We got to see the cool stuff. But it wasn't enough. It's not just enough for me to show up at church and to come here and sit and have my, you know, chair with my little monogram name, because, you know, we all have our special chair that we all want to sit at. Um, it's not enough. It means that we have to actually do something with this. We actually have to exercise it. We have to prepare, right? He said, this is prayer and fasting. How many of us do that? And, and we come and we face those challenges in life, and we wonder why we're struggling, and we feel like we're beating our head against a brick wall, and we're like, but but I'm Christian. I'm saved. This shouldn't be a challenge to me. And it is. And I just, I think that we're no different than the disciples were either. We're not any different, trust me. Yeah, they walked with Jesus, but here's one thing that we have that they didn't. We have the Holy Spirit. Because I think that's also what Jesus kind of was frustrated with them because he was like, I'm not going to be here all the time. And I need you guys to start getting this. Because when he left, he told them, don't leave until when? Until you have the Holy Spirit. Because without that, you're going to be doing the same stuff that you've been doing all along, and I've been carrying you. Right? We can't go into the world. We can't go into those places. We can't go into the darkness without the Holy Spirit ourselves and without being prepared to take on that challenge that's before us. There has to be an urgency about the fact that there is a world out there that is being destroyed. There has to be an urgency about the fact that there is an enemy that is looking to destroy that world, and we're more looking for the, I want to be up on the mount and forget that there's those people being destroyed. And that's hard because especially in a time like today when, you know, all this stuff's happening, and, and I'm like, well, but what about me? Look at what I'm going through. 
Look at the struggle. Look at all that stuff. I, I love how Pastor Greg talked about the church and the condition and how everyone's talking about, oh, it's pretty much lights out for the church, right? Do you think it's the first time that we've ever been in this situation as the church? And it's not going to be the last time that we've been in this situation. That's the reality. As the church, we're going to continue to face this over and over because we have an enemy that is set out to do this. We have an enemy that is working against us every single day. Again, his role, kill, steal, destroy. That is what he's set out to do. And he's going to do whatever he can to keep us from realizing that we have the authority to step in. This is what he says. To what? To open the eyes of the blind. To bring out the prisoners. Right? To deliver those people that are being kept hostage by the enemy. That's what we're called to do. That's what we've been authorized to do. But it means we have to do it. And what does that look like sometimes? What does that look like every day in our life, right? When you, um, it, it can be really discouraging. And I think a lot of, and again, this is the opinions of John Barker. All the those of John Barker, they don't reflect those, you know, all that stuff. Because sometimes people get, oh, like, why are you going to talk about politics again and all that stuff? No. And I'm not, I just think that as Christians, and I, and I see this often, we have ceded ground to the enemy in so many areas of our culture, in academia, in business, in entertainment, in arts, in all that stuff. Because says, well, that's not Christian, so we're not going to even have anything to do with those things. And we have walked away from that, and now we see the enemy control. And we wonder, why, our, why is our culture in the condition that it is? Why has our culture become a culture of vice and not virtue? Today in our culture, virtue is looked at as like, oh, why is that? Because we've abdicated that responsibility and we've just walked away from it and we have ceded that territory to the enemy. We did that because guess what? I've read the book and in the book, in the end, we're supposed to be the victors. He has no authority. He doesn't win anything. And yet when the enemy has control over stuff, it is because we are allowing it to happen. Because we're seeking to be up on that nice place rather than coming and facing the challenge of taking on an enemy that is destroying the world around us. That's what we have to wake up to. You know, and again, it sounds, this is like one of those downer, like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. But it's, it's that we have to have that urgency. I think that that's the, like the word that has really like resounded with me. It's like there has to be an urgency to this because we get wrapped up on stuff and we think, oh my God, but I got to do this and I got that and I've got my kids and I got my, my work and I've got all this stuff, whatever. And we forget that ultimately we are called to a ministry to a dying world. In the end, that's all that matters. All the stuff that happens... I mean, work is good and, and making money and having stuff and all this, having a good life, all that stuff's good, except for the fact that the first thing should be that we have to have that urgency about reaching that dying world. That's what we're commissioned to do. That's what we're called to do. And like I said, it can be discouraging sometimes when you're doing it and people are just not responding, right? Or we think they're not responding because Acts chapter 17 in, uh, if you look at the first part of Acts 17, you know, Paul is in Thessalonica and he's, you know, he says he goes in there and he spends several weeks. He goes three Sundays to church to like talk to these guys. And then it says some of them responded. Right? 
compared to the Berean church where almost everyone responded, in Thessalonica, the Jews, some of them responded after three weeks. I mean, can you imagine Paul preaching to you? Can you imagine? I mean, like, I'd be like, yeah. You spend three weeks with them, only some of them responded, right? That can be sometimes disappointing. But in verse 5, it says, but the Jews who were not persuaded, right, those that did not believe, those that did not respond, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, and they made all these accusations, whatever. But here's the thing. When you stand up and you start fulfilling the purpose that God has in your life, even those who don't believe will notice. Even those, especially those that don't believe are going to notice. Because here they're going, those that have turned the world upside down. Well, if you thought that they were so minimal, you know, they're nothing, they have no whatever, how are they turning the world upside down? How are they having that much effect on the world around you? What was happening is that their lie was being exposed. And they didn't like it. And they went through all this effort to try to throw a wrench in it. When we stand up, even those who don't believe will notice. But we have to stand up. We have to be those that turn the world upside down. But in reality, we're not turning the world upside down. We're turning it right side up. Because when you're in the condition that they're in, bringing God to the equation feels like you're turning the world upside down. When you're exposing the lie of the enemy, they're going to feel like you're turning the world upside down, but they're going to notice. I, I just want to see us as the church be noticed. I, I think that we have for so long bought into this idea that we need to be relevant and we need to fit in. I want to be noticed. I want to stand out. I want to be that, that I have that shirt. I love my shirt. I want to be that guy, Right? Right? I want to be that guy that they're like, oh my God, here it comes again. You know, I, 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 I think that, that these, these unbelieving Jews, when they said these have, they have turned the world upside down, meant it in a derogatory way, but that was the best compliment that you could ever have. If you are known for walking around with the presence of God, moving in everything that you do, I'm sorry, that's an awesome compliment. That's what I want to be known for. I want to be known for when he walks in, things change. Rather than, well, he's a nice guy. I mean, I want to be known as a nice guy, but I have a really hard time with that sometimes. It doesn't really work for me, I'm sorry. I want to stand out. And I want to stand out in that way. You know, I, 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 I remember for a long time, um, I mean, I grew up in the church, Cheryl, although I probably wasn't as good as Cheryl because I, I was a little heathen. Rick might have known me around that time too. I was a little bit of a heathen. Um, and, and I remember we were sitting, and this was convicting to me because I, we were sitting at the station one time, and um, we used to watch Jeopardy. 
And, you know, like, you know, because we had nothing better to do. You know, that's what firemen do. We sit around and watch TV, right, Rick? Um, and, and so one of the topics was the Bible. And I was like, oh, you have the Bible for 200. You know, we're going, and I'm like answering the questions. And someone looked over at me and they go, you know about the Bible? Ah, uh, yeah. And, you know, and I was like, ah, yeah. But believe it or not, it was very convicting. Because obviously the life that I was living did not tell that story. Because they're like, you know about the Bible? Like, you? Really? Fast forward a ways down towards the end of the, my time at the fire department, I, um, we were bidding for stations because, you know, every year we go in to like, pick stations, all this stuff, whatever. And, and so I got my station, and other people were bidding, and they're like, oh, you're going to work with a barca? He's just going to preach to you all the time. And, you know, I was offended, actually, at first. I was. I was like, oh, really? Well, that's the last time I, you know, when you come crying to me, right? And, and I went home, and I told Susanna that, and she was like, why are you mad? That's a compliment. Like, that's what you want to be known for, that when things go bad in your life, who do you look for? Who, oh, I can go to John because he's going to pray with me. He's going to speak life into me. He's going to stand there with me, and he's going to walk this out with me. That's what we need to be known for. That's what we need to be. We need to be that light and that salt that we're called to be and, and forget this idea that we just need to fit in, that we just need to be the nice people because that's what Christians are, right? We're just nice people, and we don't rock the boat. Rock the boat, people. The church needs to rock the boat and not just sit back and say, well, we'll be nice and let me watch you be destroyed. Because that's what we say when we're quiet and we don't step in and we don't become that light in the middle of that dark room. That's what we're saying. It's okay for you to be destroyed. It's okay for you to go to hell, right? That sounds pretty mean. But that's what we're saying when we don't step up and we don't share the gospel. We don't allow the Holy Spirit to really work through us and use us. You know, when, when, when the, the prophet said, you know, he says, who do I send? Here I am, send me. That's the heart that we have to have. Here I am, send me. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't even know that I'm capable of doing it. But here I am, use me. Because here's the thing, God will put you and move you. You know, what was interesting, I was reading a couple weeks ago, when, um, when uh, uh, Elijah was told to go and um, present himself before Ahab, and, um, and you know, because he's hiding from him for a while. God told him, go hide over here, sit here for a bit, get ready, prepare, do your stuff. And then he says, okay, now go present yourself to him. He goes, and it was Obadiah that he actually ran into. And he tells him, hey, go tell Ahab, here I am, that I'm going to be right here. And Obadiah's like, no, I ain't going to go tell him because I know how you are. You have this history of like disappearing and going different places. Because if you read the Bible, God would just pick him up and take him. Physically, supernaturally, God would move him. When we allow God to use us, there's some things that God will do supernaturally in your life, and he will position you, and he will move you, and he will place you where he needs you to be to make the impact that he's calling you to make. Don't rely on this, well, I'm not ready. I don't know. I, I am not prepared. God will do that. Philip also had that happen when he had the eunuch 
you know, and he tells him, you know, there's water here. What says that I can be baptized? And he says he gets baptized, and he says that Philip was taken. God will move you if he has to do it supernaturally, and sometimes it feels supernatural that he positions you and he places you and he takes you somewhere because that's where he needs you to be. And usually, it's going to be a dark place because that's where the light needs to shine. I would love to be called, you know, people talk about like, oh, I want to be a missionary to Hawaii, you know, and I just can sit there and be like, eh, you know, right? We all want to go to the nice places, and that's nothing wrong with That's good. We want nice places. But the reality is that God usually calls us to dark places because that's where the people that need Jesus are. The one that, that kind of hit me over the head with this was my son, Josh, because he went to Hollywood. And, and I'm like, first of all, California, really? Um, oh. Um, nothing with the Dodgers there, you know. But, um, but that, he was just like, Dad, this is where I need to be. This is where I want to go. And, this is, and, and I remember him telling me, he said, Dad, people in Hollywood need Jesus too. And, you know, and I was like, okay, fine. Because I wasn't happy with him going. I really wasn't. But that was his answer to me. And how do you respond to that? When his answer is like, people in Hollywood need Jesus too. Fine right? But it, like I said, if I can encourage you just to realize there's got to be that urgency. We have to have an urgency. There's a dying world. There's a world that is being destroyed every single day in front of us. And we have to have that urgency about stepping in and being the light in their world and allow God to use you. Here I am. Send me. That's a dangerous words to say sometimes, but I'll tell you what, if you want to begin to see God move in your life, that's the attitude you take. That's the position you take. Here I am, send me. And then, you know, start to cringe. But I'll tell you what, you will begin to see some amazing things happen in your life. I, I know I've said this before. I, I, I went to this job that I'm at today, and I think God, that's 100% God, God's hand on that. My first day in, this, in that job, I ran into someone who was high on meth. This is the kind of population that I work with. And just rambling and I had not worked with this population before nothing had nothing to do with it before and in the middle of this person rambling he looks up at me and he says you're a preacher I'm like I play one sometimes <laughs> like like what are you talking and he says no I know you and he started telling me I recognize you I know that anointing this were his words I know that anointing I recognize you and I was just kind of like, because at first I was like, what am I doing in this place? I know nothing about this field. I know nothing about what's going on here. How successful am I really going to be? And that first day, that's where God showed me, this is where I put you. I have you here for a reason. And fine. And God has just worked supernaturally in what he has me do there not because I'm special, but because you allow God to say, okay, I'm here. Use me, send me, put me here. Now, what are you going to do? Trust that when he puts you somewhere, he's going to work. 